Before we get into today's show, I uh, I feel like it'd be pretty tone deaf and almost willfully ignorant, honestly, of me to uh, not talk about what's currently going on here in the Twin Cities as it pertains to the killing of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer and the events that have transpired since. Uh, I'm not normally the type to discuss social, political, societal issues publicly because, to be honest, I don't believe my voice carries much, if any, weight. But I also kind of live in fear of not discussing these issues in a way that accurately portrays what I'm trying to say. I want to do right by the people who are affected by the issues I'm talking about. And I'm worried about being the guy who tries to help but makes everyone respond like, okay, yeah, good effort, but don't talk about this again. But I think there comes a point when silence on issues, especially when they pertain to oppression and specifically oppression of African Americans in our communities, There comes a point when science becomes support of that oppression. There comes a point where by not speaking out and therefore limiting the voices who are speaking in support of the just cause, you're doing that cause a disservice. I want to start by saying and and make it clear that I have the utmost respect for men and women who put on a police uniform every day. It's often a thankless job. And these people are literally putting their lives on the line day in and day out to make sure the people in this country are safe and protected. I have two uncles who are police officers, and honestly, I continue to be proud of what they do or have done. One of them is retired, Um, and I look up to them still to this day. They are part of that 99.999% of officers who are making the right kind of difference in our communities. But the, quote, few bad apples argument is one that annoys the crap out of me. Because being a police officer is not the same as other professions. I would say any other profession. You can have a few bad apples at an office job or a restaurant. You simply cannot have a few bad apples in a police force. You can't have apples running around with a gun in their belt and authority to use the potentially deadly force of the public if those apples are bad. You just can't. And to use that few bad apples argument in defending law enforcement as a whole and to be satisfied with that reality is supporting the problem. And that's where that difference lies with me. You also need to consider the fact that by having these bad apples running around and doing bad apple things like killing innocent people in the streets, you are putting the lives at risk, even more so of the good men and women in our police forces. The people in the Minneapolis Police Department who are there for the right reasons and are there to protect our communities, their lives are now far more at risk than they were before because of the actions of these four individuals. So it's pretty obvious. We've all seen the video. George Floyd was flat out murdered by that police officer. There's no way that officer didn't understand that by putting his knee and body weight on Floyd's neck. He's cutting off the air supply and suffocating him. It was not accidental. He didn't think his knee was on Floyd's back. I don't know what kind of what kind of excuses 
his lawyer or people are going to make on his behalf, but it was intentional, undebatable murder. And anybody with a shred of common sense in their brains can see that. I can't imagine what George Floyd's family is, is going through right now. Uh, but obviously my heart goes out to everyone who knew him from all accounts. He sounds like a really good dude, works security at the Salvation Army. This whole thing is, it's just a tragedy. So then that brings up the larger issue of systemic racism in our society. We've seen this story before and far too often the perpetrators don't see the justice they deserve and the families don't get any closure or redemption or, or anything really. Uh, I grew up in semi-rural Western Illinois and there like in a lot of places growing up, I was surround, surrounded by this inherent thought that since legally black people are equal to white people and there's no segregation and things aren't like they were in the 1950s and 60s, that people of color were not oppressed anymore that they weren't allowed to feel oppressed anymore. That anytime someone of color spoke out and mentioned racism, that white people could throw the equality argument right back in their face and say, you wanted equality, you got equality, we don't owe you a thing. And as a young impressionable person, I'm not gonna lie, I bought into it because I didn't see the daily struggle that still existed for African-Americans in our society. I was, I was ignorant. Then I grew up and I started to understand that as a whole, white people and black people in this country are dealt a different hand from the get-go, from birth. That in order for a person of color to reach the same success as a white person, they have to overcome more hurdles and more individuals working against them to reach that equal you know, success, whatever that is. Then I grew up more. And I started to understand the way people of color were perceived by this country uh, or in this country by a vast majority of those in power. It's become pretty obvious. And if you don't believe this at this point, then I truly believe that your head is so far in the sand, you're not getting it out. That people of color's lives are seen as less valuable than white people's lives in America. I don't need to fear for my life anytime I get pulled over. I got pulled over a few months ago because my tags were out of date, but I didn't need to worry. Cop let me off with a warning and told me to get him changed. George Floyd was a suspected of what? Check forgery? As far as the hierarchy of how serious you should take a crime, check forgery has to be extremely close to the bottom of the list. Any white person stopped for something similar is at most getting a citation and the same have a nice day that I got by the officer who pulled me over for having my tags out of date. Meanwhile, George Floyd, on camera, was yanked from his vehicle, thrown on the ground, and strangled to death by a police officer while three other officers just stood there. And at no point is there any shred of any possible proof that that officer's life was in danger or that his well-being in general, his health was in danger. If George Floyd is white, he lives. Period. He gets a ticket. Uh, you know, like I said, have a nice day. He gets to go back home to his girlfriend, his kid, and continue living a life that by all accounts was one he had worked 
hard to improve from the conditions he had been in prior. That hand he was dealt. George Floyd wasn't white. So he died. That's the difference. And that's why you see the outrage and the reaction you're seeing. Now, I don't condone looting or rioting or violent protesting. And I think it's sad and beyond unfortunate that many small businesses who were already negatively affected by COVID are now destroyed and have to rebuild from the ground up. It's heartbreaking to see these images and videos and the, the interviews with the families and the individuals who own these stores and shops and restaurants. But I understand that the people in our communities of color feel outrage and frustration and are fed up with the way they are treated and perceived in this country. And at some point, if nothing changed, it was going to boil over. And that is what we're seeing right now. When you're young and you're in grade school, one of the first real life things, one of the first real life, I don't know if it's a lesson. I don't really want to call it a lesson, but you learn about the idea of cause and effect, right? Every effect has a cause. And the best way to change the effect is to change the root cause of that effect. So many people are looking at these riots and are saying, well, they shouldn't be doing this to their communities and they should be arrested and blah, blah, blah. But the root cause of this uproar isn't the people who are carrying out these actions. It's the reason they're carrying these actions out. And the reason they're rioting and the reason they're violently protesting is because they've seen over and over again on video a member of their community being killed for no logical reason. So how do you stop this effect? You go back to the root cause, the root cause, which is the perception that African-American life isn't as valuable as white life. I just hope enough people now realize that a fundamental change is needed so we can truly move forward together. All right, let's get to the show for real. Welcome in to 10,000 Pitches, a podcast devoted to everything Minnesota soccer. My name is Jeremy, and if you're still listening after my comments on the events that have transpired in Minneapolis over the last 48 to 72 hours, thank you for sticking around. Uh, we do have soccer talk on the pod for you uh, this week. I'll be joined by two members of Minnesota United's Dark Cloud supporters group, uh, Kristen Fitchett and Scott DeMaranville, about their creative way of helping contribute to the Neighbors United FC. Uh, that's a fund that supports the residents and businesses of St. Paul's Midway neighborhood around Allianz Field. And they're helping support that fund with soccer kits and beer. Very, very cool. So we'll talk to them more about that. And as well as just kind of everything involved with being a Minnesota United supporter uh, a little bit later on. Also some Minnesota lower league esports to get to as well as quite a bit of Minnesota United news. Um, as always, if you could, please do me a favor and subscribe to rate and review the pod on your preferred platform. That helps us out a ton. Also, we're on all the socials. 
Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, find us at 10K Pitches. Uh, so first, let's talk about the conclusion of the lower league E-Cup. Last week, I talked to Minneapolis SC's Jonah Garcia, who advanced all the way to the finals of the tournament. Missed that conversation. Jonah was a great interview. So definitely check it out. It's an episode one. Uh, but yeah, I was not the bad luck guy. I thought I would be. I thought I was going to be the jinx guy for a second uh, after interviewing Jonah after his success in the tournament up to that point. But I wasn't. Thank goodness he won two more matches after our talk, advanced all the way to the finals before getting ousted by Oldie Town FC 5-2 in the final, ending his unbeaten run to that point. Uh, but despite the loss, Jonah put on a heck of a performance in the tournament. He was the top defensive performer in the entire tournament. Like I said, he was unbeaten through the group stage and obviously through the knockout stages up until that final. And so now, Jonah did say last week, kind of speaking on that, that if, in, that if NPSL, which is right now canceled until, until July 15th at least, uh, does end up canceling the season altogether, that there could potentially be some sort of independent schedule between teams who are obviously in states that can allow for that sort of thing and uh, with possibly teams in all different lower leagues who just want to and can safely play uh, some competitive soccer. So like I said, if MPSL can't uh, resume play, um, there is still the possibility that we could see Minneapolis SC on the field uh, some at some point this summer. Speaking of the lower league E-Cup, I can't commend the individuals who helped put together and execute that tournament enough. It was so well run and super entertaining, and it was awesome to just have some soccer to watch honestly. Um, even if it was virtual, it was still something to look forward to. They also tweeted today and or yesterday, if you're listening on Friday, that they're planning an, a, quote, innovative tournament that will be contest contested through a different medium than video games, end quote. Uh, continuing with the esports theme, the Crows aren't part of the ENPSL, which is their esports league that they started up in lieu of uh, you know the soccer season that's postponed uh, right now. But Duluth FC is part of that league. And I'm recording this before their doubleheader Thursday night, but they did pick up four points on Tuesday, drawing Atlantic City FC 2-2 two to two, uh, and then topping Boston City FC 3-1. to one. I'm not sure exactly where they sit in the standings at this moment, but they were in the top half of the table last time I saw them tweeted out. So they should still comfortably be there after Tuesday. Again, this is just another way to take in some domestic soccer, something entertaining that's happening right here in Minnesota. All of Duluth FC's NPSL games can be seen on twitch.tv slash Duluth FC Esports. And you can check out the schedule at DuluthFC.com. Maybe pick up some merch while you're there uh, too and support some local soccer. Hashtag support local soccer. Uh, before I get into some loons talk here, I did quickly want to mention that I definitely want to get into an in-depth discussion on both the cancellation of this year's Target USA Cup, which is, of course, the youth soccer tournament that takes place every summer in Blaine at the National Sports Center, as well as the new youth program initiative that MLS is sort of taking over from U.S. soccer. I'll hope get into that a little bit more next week, maybe have a guest or two on that can provide a little bit more of a expert insight on those situations. No promises, but the irons are in the fire. So we'll see if that pans out. All right, let's talk loons. So MLS came out Thursday and said teams can begin voluntary small group training on June 2nd. Their moratorium on those workouts goes through June 1st, and they just uh, will not be extending that, basically. So what do small group workouts consist of? Well, first, you can't have more than six players in a given group. They have to stay outside, so still no usage of the indoor facilities. Those have to still remain closed. Uh, and they can divide the pitch into two halves and have one group in each half. 
So what do small group workouts consist of? Well, first, you can't have more than six players in a given group. Uh, they have to stay outside, so still no usage of indoor facilities. Those, those have to remain closed. They can divide the pitch into two halves and have one group in each half, basically. So a maximum of 12 players on the entire pitch in two six-person groups, if that makes any sense. Um, if a group which is, wishes to use the whole field, no other group can obviously be in any other part of that field. Uh, players within those groups have to be 10 feet apart in six specified zones, which must be clearly by the club prior to the training session. Once a group is set for that session, that's your group. You can't change uh, and you can't switch groups during a session, but the groups can be adjusted from session to session. So, you know, the groups on Monday can be different than the groups on Tuesday. Uh, coaches and technical staff must wear masks at all times and cannot be on the pitch, but uh, they can be on the sidelines. They also must keep at least a foot distance from each other and all players as well. Finally, goalkeepers cannot spit on their gloves and they must clean and disinfect those gloves after each session. So again, that begins June 2nd, but it's obviously also voluntary. So any players that aren't comfortable or wish to you know, sit out those sessions uh, are, are more than welcome to do so. Speaking of goalkeepers, Greg Ranjit Singh, the Canadian, officially received his green card, which means he is no longer occupying one of those coveted uh, international roster spots, which is always a good thing. Obviously, to have those available is, is crucial uh, to bring in more international talent. But when you factor that in with the open DP slot the Loons have, there's a ton of flexibility here in terms of adding international talent to the roster. Adrian Heath said in a conference call with the media a couple weeks ago that I was on that the team can afford to add players once the transfer window is solidified and that he can uh, have his, he can uh, he and the staff have been, quote, up to their ears, end quote, in scouting potential talent. So uh, congrats to Greg again on uh, receiving his green card. And again, this is great news for United, obviously. As far as a potential return to play, the latest proposal by the league has players heading to Disney World in Orlando June 21st for a tournament that um, contains all 26 MLS teams. Uh, that tournament itself would start with five group stage matches, and then the results of those matches would actually count towards season point totals for any potential regular season that the league could have or, or finish, I guess, after the tournament's over. Uh, then eight teams would advance to the knockout rounds. Those matches would not count towards season point totals in the knockouts. They obviously can't end in a draw. And the time frame for the players being in Orlando is reportedly a lot shorter in this plan than the original proposal. The original had four weeks of practice in Orlando before the tournament even began. So that would amount to about 10 weeks in Florida for the players, coach, and, and staff away from their families, which the MLSPA was obviously not thrilled with. Uh, and if you've been following, the NWSL has solidified and is good to go on a tournament in Utah beginning June 27th. Uh, so the MLS is under some pressure in that regard to get something finalized and uh, a plan in place. So uh, we'll see how that pans out. Uh, it seems like the players have been a little bit more receptive to this plan. But the question remains, well, are they receptive enough to actually get the pen to paper and get this thing finalized? We'll see. Uh, finally, on the United front, just wanted to shamelessly plug myself. Uh, in light of MLSsoccer.com's recent interview with Miguel Ibarra on his departure from Minnesota United and staying in MLS with Seattle, I wrote a little summary of Ibarra's seven years with the Loons. Uh, yeah, he was here for seven years. The man played 84 matches and started all of them too, actually, for the NASL Minnesota United before they even made the jump to MLS. So that was a lot of fun to write, and you can check it out at zonecoverage.com. 
Also, if you're just a Minnesota sports fan in general, I'd highly recommend checking out zonecoverage.com. There's a ton of good content on there on all the Minnesota sports teams, especially if you're a Vikings or a Wild or a United fan. I would highly recommend checking it out. Let's now get to this week's interview. All right, joining the show now are two guys who have done a lot of good for the Twin Cities, especially the Midway community in St. Paul, and have created some amazing stuff in the process. Minnesota United supporters Christian Fitchett and Scott DeMoranville. What is up, guys? Thank you both for coming on the show. How's it going, Jeremy? Good, good. Uh, So another week goes by, no Loons matches, no MLS. Uh, How are you guys holding up with no soccer, at least uh, here domestically? Well, it's uh, eagerly awaiting the the games coming back, but I'm getting by okay and nice having German soccer starting up. Yeah, I watched a little Bundesliga. Yeah, I would say, have you guys been watching Bundesliga? Kind of scratch the edge a little bit? Yeah. You guys Bundesliga supporters, uh, you know, beforehand, or you guys have have you guys adopted any teams since since uh, they got going? I'm a Dortmund fan, admittedly. Okay. Yep. Uh, I kind of just watch whatever game is on at a yeah. time I can watch. Yeah, I, I I personally I went through the list of like okay, you know, all of all the American players that are playing in the Bundesliga, like okay, oh, and I was like, you know, I really like Weston McKinney, and all the teams I like or or follow or support are, are kind of all blue. You know, Everton, <laughs> Minnesota United. So I was like, I'll go with Schalke. You know, I don't know much about them, but I'll just kind of throw my allegiance towards them. So, you know, granted, they got they got trounced by Dortmund. Congratulations, Christian, uh, in the opening weekend. So, but uh, I bought a I bought a kit already and everything. Oh wow! So kind of kind of going all in. I mean, it's uh, what else can you do at this point, right? You got to got to watch something. For sure. You throw your throw your support behind something. So now you're both part of the Dark Clouds MN supporters group from Minnesota United, which is one of how many different supporters groups within the Wonderwall structure. There's four major supporters groups, ones that are kind of recognized as part of the Wonderwall. So, Red Loons, True North Elite, Dark Glitterati, and, and Dark Clouds. But then there are all sorts of um, uh, additional, um, more informal groups, you know, such as um, Midway Wanderers, which has, has come up, Hop Clouds, which is really an offshoot of the Dark Clouds, as well as, um, <clears throat> and, and no matter who um, we name off, I'm sure we will forget multiple ones, right? So uh, yeah. in addition to that, you also have the com- community ones like Silver Lining and Keepers of the North, which are affiliated with, with the various groups. Yeah, don't forget Red Loons is one of them. <laughs> well. Exactly. Those ones we listed are official parts of Wonderwall. I think there's a few others that aren't part of Wonderwall, but they uh, have some official existence. And I would say the Midway Wanderers may or may not exist because we don't really have membership and we barely have merch or anything else <laughs> to say we exist. Well, I mean, it's, it, I feel like there's, you know, you have the main ones and then you almost have like the subsections, whether they're mm-hmm. official or unofficial of the, of the main supporters groups. Um, and so, like you said, Scott, uh, you know, you, you're the one who sold the, or who spearheaded the effort to use the Midway Wanderers kit as kind of a, a fundraiser for the NUFC. And then Christian, you kind of jumped on board with Hop Clouds mm-hmm. and said, you know, we'll throw in a beer as mm-hmm. well too. So how did you guys kind of become a part of or throw your uh, support behind those uh, you know, specific subsessions. Did you create them or did you, did you join them and have kind of you know, taken that fundraising effort? How, did, how has that kind of evolved? Scott, do you want to take that first? Sure. Well, Midway Wanderers kind of just started because a bunch of us figured out that we all live in the same neighborhood near the stadium. Mm-hmm. And a couple times we've gotten together 
but we're pretty much all members of one of the other supporters groups. And uh, the only way that Midway Wanderers still exists really as an excuse to design merch, really. <laughs> gotcha. And I have I've designed a few things for Dark Clouds, and I've designed Tifo, and I've been wanting to do a kit, and I thought making a Midway Wanderers kit would be a great way to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with, with everything that's going on in the world, rather than just designing a kit, you know, make a shirt, it would be great to do something positive in the process and raise money for charity. For sure. Yeah, that kit is amazing looking. How, how'd you come up with the design for that? Did you have some help or did you come up with that all on your own? Well, I guess there's probably inspiration from a lot of different places. Mm -hmm. I ended up making four different sketches or four different rough drafts. And then I had a poll. And before I started the poll, I was thinking this loon pattern one is really cool. And it's a shame that it probably isn't going to win. But then when we had the poll, it was like the overwhelming winner. Like it got... It got more than half of the votes, even though there were three others, you know, so all the others combined got much less than half. And for good reason. I mean, that one was just, just amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that one too. I mean, I, I, I bought one of the kits and I can't wait to see it in person and, and put it on. I mean, that's, you know, it's great to have the actual team merch, but to have something that was created by the supporters, you know, sure. especially something that's raising money for such a good cause. It's, it's means so much more, I think. And it's definitely something I'll be looking forward to wearing on, on game days and just, just out and about. Agreed. Yeah. You know, uh, one other thing about the, what went into the design is, I felt like the the official shirts have been, it's weird that they're medium gray when the whole team is supposed to be about black and blue. Mm-hmm. So like all my designs were about like using actually black or very dark gray mm-hmm. rather than medium gray. I wish the team would do the same and move to like a darker shade of gray instead of like medium gray that has appeared since joining MLS. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe, maybe bringing back the wing kit is one step closer to moving in that direction. Who knows? Yeah, I hope so. One could hope. Uh, so Christian, Hop Clouds, you're kind of the, sure. uh, the home brewers subsection yeah. of, of the Minnesota <laughs> United supporters. How did that start? And, uh, did you start it or are you just a member and, and how'd you get involved? No, I'm one of the co-founders. Um, and, and I'd like to think actually there's, there's, uh, there's 15 or so of us now, um, all at varying levels. Actually, Scott is had interest, contacted me about that, and then I contacted him about using some of the designs that went into one of the TIFOs for the beers. Um, so Hopcloud started because I was a home brewer, and then I had two additional friends who were sort of into soccer, um, but loved to homebrew. And we basically just got together, talked games, and, and brewed at the same time, and it was just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And so this year, as we started getting into the, um, r- right around August, uh, the three of us said, you know, we should really expand this and open it up to folks. And so we're, you know, um, we're a very open group, just like Midway Wanderers. You know, we don't really have membership. Um, we do sometimes share costs on like grains and beers and stuff, because, you know, when you brew a large batch, it can be expensive. Um, but, you know, it's, there's folks who are like really into the food science part, the brewing part. There's folks that are really into the design part, which is awesome. Um, and then we just try and do stuff that's really community generated. So, um, and obviously love, love partnering with um, anything that can really help the community, especially now um, to, um, 
you know, I feel like supporter generation is, is one of the things that really um, attracted me to soccer as opposed to other sports where it just feels, you know, some of the other sports just feel very um, crafted or machined kind of by um, kind of the large corporate entities as opposed to soccer, which feels much more organic to me. Definitely. I, I agree a hundred percent. So now that you guys, you know, obviously, you know, home brewing is more like a, a passion project more than anything, right? Sure. But Absolutely. now that you see this kind of gaining steam with the fundraiser and I mean, the bottle was amazing. I got the Citratown uh, beer and that bottle is amazing looking. Yep. I mean, do you have aspirations to kind of move this forward and maybe one day get the beer sold at Allianz Field or, or move into local retail establishments? Like what, what's, do you guys have a, yeah. a goal in that regard? Yeah, so first of all, shout out to Eric uh, on Twitter, Eric Live Out Loud, um, who designed the bottle. He's he's also another member of HopClouds, more on the design side, but he also does some brewing. Um, I think longer term, I, you know, who knows where this will go. It would be great to um, at least get a license so that we could sell some beer. You know, as a home brewer, you can't really sell it. You have to give it away. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be great to be able to sell some beer so that we can generate funds for something like a community project or something. Um, you know, but... Um, I think all of us do it because we really, we love doing it. We love talking soccer. It's a great way just to hang out with friends and do something cool. Um, so, you know, we'll see, we'll see. You never know where these things are going to go. I will say we are partnering actually with a professional brew uh, brewery. Um, if you know Sisyphus Brewing um, mm-hmm. up in the Lowry area, um, they have invited um, myself and, and a couple of the brewers to join them and, and, and craft a batch on their five barrel system, which is a big deal. So we're going to be doing that once, obviously, social distancing and everything is, you know, we're all in, in the safe zone. Awesome. How many beers have you guys, how many different types of beer, you know, do you guys have, have you guys made together? Um, you know, probably too many to count, but but how many do you guys have going right now? And, I mean, you know, if somebody were to ask you for a beer, how many different types do you have to give them? Sure. Um, I would say on hand right now, generally, we have four to five. Um, there's also another two that are actually in fermentation right now. So actually just made um, which is what is usually the hardest beer to make every year which is patience it's a belgian quadruple um so it's a it's kind of a really big beer it's got to ferment for a while and then we have two different ipas actually that are in fermentation so uh so i guess we have three then in fermentation um so there's always there's always something going um we don't always have a ton of beer on hand because uh, you know um especially with ipas and some of these beers you want to keep them fresh so get them out to people as much as you can um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's usually how it goes. Nice. And, uh, again, you know, thank you guys for, for your effort in, in terms of raising oh, sure. money for the NUFC. Um, Scott, from a kit standpoint, you sold 25, correct? Is that what you capped it at? Uh, it actually ended up being 26. Okay. So the, after the sale ended, um, <laughs> a different podcast host, West Burdine texted me and said, Oh no, the sale ended. Did you- <laughs> You got to make time uh, for Wes. You always got to you always got to do a little extra for Wes, right? Well, uh, Podiumware, who's making the shirt, I wouldn't have even known they existed if I didn't hear about it on Wes's podcast. Okay, gotcha. So, so I'm sure they're willing to make an exception for him. And Definitely. They added one more shirt at the end after the sale ended. Speaking of adding more shirts, I mean, from what I saw on Twitter, there seemed to be a pretty big demand for it, uh, especially after all of them have been sold. Are there any plans to make more or do anything additional as far as Midway Wanderers merch goes? Cause it seems like, uh, you know, you, you sold the 26, but it seemed like there was, there was a, a greater demand. Well, there'll definitely be more Midway Wanderers merch in the future. 
Um, if enough people want a shirt and didn't get one, then we could have another sale. Uh, it's just like a, a five shirt minimum. So if, if five people can commit to ordering one, we could do another sale in the future. Awesome. I mean, I, I think, I think that the kit, especially I think deserves to, yeah. you know, have a little bit wider exposure in terms of people wearing it because again that was uh, i was, I was yeah, a big awesome. fan of it i know a lot of different uh people were too so a lot of the uh supporters group atmosphere and, and experiences about community outreach and stuff you guys are doing in the community how exactly does that community outreach work and how um how are you guys uh you know involved in, in that portion of the of the supporters group sure so i i have been involved with the um silver lining quite a bit so um, we generally have monthly meetings, um, and we do have a schedule uh, on an end, you know, a yearly schedule of all the different events that we're going to participate in. Um, obviously, a lot of that's been thrown into a little bit of chaos, uh, you know, in the meeting. That's been a great mm -hmm. way to support the community. Um, the um, Dark Clouds auction, charity auction, actually, um, Hop Clouds will be donating a beer that anyone wants to make. Um, they bid on it, they can get a full 10 gallon batch. Wow. Um, you know, we'll make it for them, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, and a lot of things like that. So there's, um, I'm also involved quite a bit in youth soccer because my son plays um, youth soccer. So uh, I try to do uh, quite a bit of charity work. Um, uh, shout out to uh, TC Soul Futsal, which does a lot of North Minneapolis um, free clinics for kids, you know, just mm -hmm. to get them doing something active that doesn't involve, you know, uh, being in their neighborhood, you know, in, in potentially dangerous conditions. So. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. Scott? Yeah. Um, I mean, other than this shirt, this shirt is the first time I've done something to raise money. Um, mm -hmm. Really just kind of help out with what the dark clouds and silver lining are already doing and yeah. you know, help out volunteer or, you know, donate. Like they have the charity club card, mm -hmm. charity card club, whatever mm -hmm. it's called, you know, mm -hmm. those are the things. What's the, uh, aside from the, the, the kit and more, the more recent fundraising efforts you've done, what's your favorite thing you've been a part of uh, as far as that outreach goes with, with Dark Clouds? I guess TIFO. TIFO isn't exactly outreach other than that, you know, it's mm -hmm. a very visible thing that everyone gets to see and, yep. you know, it's especially feel good about doing things like Pride TIFOs. So, yeah, some of the Pride TIFOs we've done are probably what I'm most proud of. And I, and I would just add on, Jeremy, um, if for those folks who are listening who haven't um, come out and do, done a TIFO before, I've actually participated in, I don't know, five or six at this point over the, the course of the MLS tenure. It's a ton of fun. Um, I've, I, you know, I've met a ton of friends um, doing that and just, you know, you end up doing some painting. Kids actually love doing it. My son comes out and paints with us as well. It's actually where I met Scott was uh, uh, one of the TIFOs we were working on. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's kind of cool to, to hang out and, and do something related to soccer, but that's not necessarily soccer, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so someone like me, I, I, I would refrain, I just initially I would refrain from going because I have zero artistic ability whatsoever. I can't draw, I can't paint. <laughs> uh, so how, how does that work? I mean, how, how can you get involved to make sure you don't mess it up? <laughs> There's a lot of help needed, just like moving things around mm -hmm. or, um, when we are transferring the design, like we're projecting it on big pieces of cloth and then we're just tracing the edges of it. Like okay. you don't have to have any skill at all to do that because gotcha. if you're off by an inch, no one yeah, will you can't see it. it yeah. Because, you know, people are gonna be very far away from it when they see it. Yeah, got it, sure. got it. So even the painting, like if you screw up painting, no one will ever know 
as long as you're using the right color in the right place. Right? <laughs> and if you paint with the wrong color, then you just have to paint over it. It's yeah. not a big deal. You guys ever had any TIFO disasters, a rip or a color in the wrong place or, or something like that? Well, the first home game, you know, yeah. you see that one. Yep. As it went up, it ripped. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had a lot of things we didn't anticipate with like the, all the railings in the supporter section. There's like a lot of sharp corners yeah. everywhere. And we had fabric that, um, the fabric we used previously had tripled in price. So we bought something new. We we're using new fabric in a new environment and the fabric couldn't handle it. Like <laughs> there were a lot of things wrong with it. Like it was soaking up paint like a sponge. So we did. Yeah. Yep. four layers of paint on some of the things so oh it's super heavy not very strong <laughs> and then catching on those corners so like yeah. pieces caught and tore when we were trying to deploy the tifo and we were we were lucky that everything got deployed enough to get like some pictures of the whole thing deployed mm -hmm. you know like one thing ripped on the way up, but the people figured it out and managed to deploy it anyway. Yeah. And then the big hanging part, you know, it went all the way up and then it actually tore and fell. <laughs> Some people thought that was intentional. <laughs> but that was for the TFO to tear and fall directly. <laughs> it's, it's really hard to imagine the scale of that TFO. Like I remember when we were painting it, we had this huge open warehouse, literally nothing in it. And we laid out this one section of it and it was like the, the tiniest corner, uh, you know, that, that it wasn't even the widest part of it. Yeah. And um, we, it was so massive. We, we literally couldn't lay it all out at one time where we were, we were doing it because it was just that big. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it was like 35,000 square feet. I think it was just wow. enormous. Was huge. It was huge. I, I, I did a lot of the design on that, you know, and I was looking at it for a long time, but the first time I saw a piece of it, like physically laid out on the floor, it was just like, it's staggering how massive it is. Yeah. Where do you guys do the TIFO painting and construction at? We first had a warehouse that was for rent and it was like, we were able to use it as long as no one wanted to rent it and someone did want to rent it. So we lost that and we had no TIFO space for a while. And now we have um, a warehouse that belongs to Midwest Special Services. They are, I believe they're a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. They help uh, people who are disabled with a lot of different like services and activities and things. And it seems like they have the, they own this huge warehouse and they kind of don't need all the space. They let a lot of different people use that space. So there's probably like 10 different organizations sharing that warehouse. Yeah. Wow. And uh, it mostly doesn't get used on weekends. So, so we're able to go in there on weekends and, you know, have free use of the space as long as we clean it all up before Monday morning. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're going to do some Minnesota United trivia here, guys. Uh, you guys are both... Uh, MNUFC supporters. How long have you guys been in the official uh, Dark Clouds MN supporters group, each of you? Uh, I think I've been there since about 2015. I so, have wow. since the first year of Minnesota United, which was 2013. Okay, so Scott, you have the longevity. 
but you guys have both been in the, been in the uh, group for a while and both been supporting the team for a long time. So uh, I got three questions here and here's how this is going to work. You, you buzz in, they're all multiple choice and you buzz in just by saying your name. So Scott, if I hear you say your name first, you're going to have, you know, sole possession of, of guessing the answer. Christian, uh, likewise for you. Three questions, whoever gets the most right, you know, there's no prize or anything, but you get the bragging rights, you get to go back to dark clouds and say you're, you know, you're the, uh, the more knowledgeable Loons fan overall. Uh, and all three of these questions do have to do with Minnesota United's MLS tenure. So more, more recent uh, information I was able to gather. Because full disclosure, I moved here in 2017. So I, I've, I've done my research and I feel like I know a lot about the Minnesota United history, but definitely more comfortable asking questions that have to do with 2017 to now. So uh, three questions, whoever gets the most right is the winner. And we'll start off with question one. Who was Minnesota United's leading goal scorer during their inaugural MLS season in 2017? A, Kevin Molino, B, Miguel Ibarra, or C, Christian Ramirez? Christian. Christian Ramirez. Christian, correct. Christian gets Christian. I don't have a bell. I wish I had a bell sound effect. Uh, That's what I would have guessed, but you're so quicker on the draw. Christian is up one, uh, one to zero. I thought that you guys might be leaning towards Molino because he actually uh, he scored the first goal in their first home match, too. So I thought that might have maybe stumped you guys a little bit. But Christian got it right off the bat with Christian Ramirez. So he's up one question to none. Question two here. The Loons' first MLS regular season match was March 3rd, 2017, and a 5-1 uh, loss in Portland. How many players from that day's starting 11 are still on the Minnesota United roster today? A1, B2, C3. Um, I would guess three. I'm going to go with uh, one starting. One starting. All right, Christian gets it again. It was one. And bonus points if you can guess who it is. It's Kevin Molino. Kevin Molino, yep. Okay. All right, question three, just for funsies here then. Uh, Minnesota United coach Adrian Heath coached which English League second division club to a ninth place finish in 1996-97? A little difficult with this one. Is it A, Coventry City? B, Burnley, or C, Sunderland? Uh, I think it might be Coventry. Christian, what's your guess? Um, Burnley. Burnley's correct. You sweep the round. Again, I don't have any, I don't have any prizes to give you, but uh, you do get to go back and, and tell Dark Clouds that you're the more knowledgeable uh, one, at least for these three questions, as far as uh, Minnesota United fandom goes. Well, again, guys, thank you so much for that. All, all you do uh, for Dark Clouds MN, but all the, the money that you've raised and the stuff you've done, you know, during this time for, for the neighborhoods and, and the Midway uh, portion of St. Paul that could really use the help right now. And uh, Scott, I'll be on the lookout for more Midway Wanderers merch. Uh, I, count me in as one of the five sure. who would be willing to uh, go in on something like that. Sure, and uh, sure. Christian, anytime you need a beer taster, let me know, okay? Uh, we'll do. We'll do. All right. Christian Fitchett and Scott DeMoranville, Minnesota United supporters, and two guys who have done some great things for the Neighbors United FC and the Midway community in St. Paul. Thank you guys again for not only coming on the show, but again, for all of your hard work. It's much appreciated. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks. It was a pleasure.